welcome to the Morpreville Monthly. I am your host, Maple Strip. Welcome, 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 Morpreville, Morpreville, Morpreville Monthly. As always, there will be spoilers here. Monthly. Maple Strip, Morpreville, Maple Strip. I am your host, Maple Strip. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Morpreville Monthly. Welcome to the Morpreville Monthly. Uh, well, <laughs> Firetrix answered my call for a new opening team, and I guess here we are. Uh, as always, there be spoilers here. I am your host, Maple Strip, and today I am joined by Fractal. Hello. You may know me from the uh, Discord if you're active on that. We're very much a mod there. I think still the most active user by Tatsu standards? I think so, yeah. You're definitely one of the most active ones. Yeah. So I'm really happy to have you on here. We're really happy to be here. We've, we're not really much of a podcast being ourselves usually, but it's it's nice to just hang out for one time at least. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to you because to this episode because you've done a lot more preparation than I did this time. <laughs> yeah. You, you're you looking up all the links and rereading yeah. all that stuff, and meanwhile I'm just like, uh, I don't have much for this one. It's mainly because like just the Reflections arc in general is really what inspired us, because it so distinctly reminds us of conversations we've been in with our own friend group that, like, yeah, it's it, it's re- really realistic. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. I presume you yeah, have, yeah. like, the whole opening setup and such. Yeah, I do have a bit of an opening setup. Uh, before we really get started, I would like to note that this might be the last episode for a while. We might also get some guest hosts in the near future. And the reasons for that is twofold. Uh, for one thing, I'm just getting a bit uh, tired. Might not be the right word, but you know, it's it's a lot of work to do Burned this out. podcast. Eve. Uh, maybe slightly. And I'm also focusing on my own project, a different project. Uh, I'm building a webcomic database, uh, or at least the UI front ends for this right now, and that's a lot of work. So I'd like to focus on that more than uh, the podcast. But we might get some guest hosts, so that would be really cool. The other thing is that I'm going to get braces, which I'm not sure yet how that's going to affect recording like this. <laughs> I don't want to get braces again, but I should. There's a lot of weird teeth stuff going on. We had a little bit of orthodontics stuff for the kid, but we like never like we kind of didn't do much beyond some point. I forget the details. We were like 10. Memory's hazy back then, but... Mm. Our teeth are a bit crooked, and honestly, we don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind all that much either. But the issue is here that I need to get an implant because I'm missing a missing two teeth, and and some space needs to be made there. So all right, that makes sense. <laughs> bit of a mess. Yeah, but uh, maybe I can record with that anyway. But we'll see. Yeah. But on to you, Fractal. How did you come across El Gunishai for the first time? Well, when we first were realizing we were trans, like way back in uh, twenty six, late twenty sixteen, we were very active on this uh, IRC channel for the genderqueer subreddit, and there were a lot of people. Oh, hi, cat. Um, a lot of people <laughs> referencing that on uh that that channel. It was one of our. It was probably our first queer community just to actually talk about stuff in, and we so we just kind of got into the webcomic from there. Um, which community was this? Um, there's a, uh, on Snoonet, there's a, uh, genderqueer channel. Ah, um, cool. cool. I- I'm 
not exactly that familiar with these intricacies of like different IRC servers, I'll be honest, but it's linked on the <sighs> genderqueer subreddit. We're not active there anymore, but we used to be. Mm. That's cool. It's one that I've never heard of, actually. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty recent, too, 2016. Yeah. It feels like ages ago for us, because still been half a decade, but nearly. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, th- I really thought you were in this community longer than I was, but I <laughs> guess probably not 2016. What, what was the arc you caught up on? Um, It would have been Sister 3, because we were very specifically remember it was that one page with the big close-up of Jerry on the panel. Like, old Jerry. <laughs> like, I, there's one page, like, uh, I think it's when uh, uh, Nanase and I think Ellen are talking to Susan about Diane. Oh, yeah. There's, that like, one sense. page with a close-up of Jerry that I rem- I distinctly remember because we shared it with one of our friends, and she asked, oh, why is there the Santa-looking guy up there? <laughs> so, something like that. But um, What's Santa doing in here? Yeah. We kind of binged the comic really quickly um in like under two and a half days that's pretty quickly yeah like we basically were completely checked out from school at that point so we literally were just Mm. looking at it on our phone the whole time and just kind of spent like all that time just reading through the comic we start we got into it about wednesday at like 1 a.m and we had finished it by like noon friday so yeah, it was yep. a lot. I can imagine. I sometimes hear t- people talk about whether it's still possible to read the entire webcomic in one day. I think the consensus is no, that's not really doable. And if you <laughs> really dedicated yourself to it, maybe. Also, cats, please don't type behind me. I'm trying to record. <laughs> but, um... Uh, you might be able to do it during a reread when you already yeah. know exactly what's going on. Yeah, and and when you're not like, well, those you start doing a reread, you kind of have the instinct to glance down at the commentaries, though that's only there for like two thirds of the total length of the webcomic. Well, it's it's getting more and more. I mean, yeah. if, if Sister Three is already five years ago, oh my god! I know, right? <laughs> and I also here have here on my sheets. Uh, did you know if you were queer at the time? But clearly you did. <laughs> yeah. Um. A lot. Like a lot of uh, a lot of people we hear uh, found out they were queer because of the comic. But we kind of had it the other way around. We found the comic because we realized we were queer. I expect that's becoming increasingly more common, especially when other webcomic communities touch upon ours. And of course, because there's just a lot more. Uh, what's the opposite of an egg? I don't know, just somebody's hatched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more queer people, so to speak. Yeah. I, and we'd still be surprised. Like, there's plenty of people, like, even within the Discord where we're mainly active, where, like, they only realized they were queer during the comic, despite, you know, having been there for years. Hmm. Not to mention, of course, the fact that at least over half of the El readership is not queer at all, so... <laughs> I mean, I still consider it a fairly queer community, just that's, that's like the whole point of this episode, right? Yeah, in case you haven't noticed yet, this episode is going to be about the LGBTs, etc. Everything more, because Alguna Shive is surprisingly good at, you know, actually reflecting that. Yeah. But before like, we get into all of that, because that's the, the main subject of the episode... Do you feel like talking about the recent updates for a minute? Oh, yeah. Those are fascinating. Like, 
just the premise of like RPG stats on spells is such an interesting concept and lends so much fodder to the probably inevitable fan-made uh, EGS tabletop RPG. Tabletop RPG? I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, well, I guess I have because I literally typed that down here. I was thinking uh, video game RPG just now. But like, you could tell it, it would require a lot of intervention from the DM because of how personalized magic is to like each user. Yeah. But you could probably try and create something like that magic system as a tabletop RPG. It would slot fairly well, like into like a lot of settings, I'd say. I think the personalized magic system is what makes Elgun and Shaif the most appealing for a role player. It allows you to role play a character whose superpowers are based on their character. Yeah, and that works fantastically when you're trying to design something, but it also just puts a lot of work on the DM, considering how finicky the will of magic is. I mean, you'd have a DM that's designed, or that really has to work together with the players to design, you know, the spells. Yeah. Or or you get a DM that chooses the spells for the players, but that would also be accurate to how Elgin and Shive usually played out. Yeah. Like how Nana said, used a lot of sneaky spells and only got more sneaky spells. Yeah, and like that kind of interesting, like, basically being the open book for, like, character development. Like, it's literally just whatever Dan wants for character development, and I'm fine with that. (laughs) That's true, it works great for a story. Though, I'd have to say that Dan is really making these uh, spell mechanics more and more complicated every single arc, isn't he? I think he's just kind of indulging. Like, I get the feeling he's the kind of person who likes nerding out about something and going into specific details. Especially considering how many of the characters have that are clearly um, self-reflective autobiographical traits, um, have that kind of info-dumping instinct. So I think he's just giving himself more to do. Yeah. Dan really loves going into these kinds of details. I mean, he's most known for going into a lot of detail about, like, uh, scaling. Like, characters becoming twice as big, and that means they are four times as tall, or the opposite of that, maybe. I mean, let alone just that there's a whole panel dedicated to I am an endless barrel of exposition. Yes, that's one of your favorites, isn't it? (laughs) we love that damn panel. We've made so many slaves of it throughout the years. Hmm. I do like the exposition here. I do like the weird RPG mechanics we're seeing yeah. here. But also, it's such indulgement of Dan's part. And Dan's kind of experimenting <laughs> with like structuring the story because he's like kind of jumping around in time a lot. So, well, that I appreciate. Yeah. I'm also really looking forward to because we finally got a new arc going, and I hope that this will be a lot more dynamic than the the, the very. Uh, aesthetic art that we just had. So honestly, I, I really liked the reflections. Like, EGS is that, like, it has the magic aspect, but also the slice of life is honestly just kind of really comfy sometimes, just having those characters who are honestly just kind of comfy to have, you know? I love the slice of life, and I think the last arc will work really well on a reread, but also yeah. really like switching scenes a lot, you know? Yeah, of Switching course. between the characters, seeing their daily lives, uh, just in small snippets. Yeah, I mean, we read the, we reread the whole thing like just yesterday, just to re-reference <laughs> for this comic, and it honestly was really really nice on a reread. The pacing was a lot better in terms of it wasn't literally a year ago when the door first came up, you know. <laughs> yep. 
like webcomic time is always fun. You mix uh webcomic archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. One thing that's interesting about the mechanics that we're looking at right now is that it sometimes feels like a nerf. Sometimes it's all about balancing. Like I think on the most recent page when we're recording this, which is uh, the 27th. So yesterday's page, we got the the confirmation that the spells aren't nerfed in any way, but just a lot more manual than they were before. Yeah, taking the training wheels off. And yeah, I, yeah. I, that's honestly we're curious to see what happens with Fox because that kind of concept of like and not intelligence but like to to stretch the computer analogy processor power sharing that uh mm. I presume is like clock time that's the word uh that uh Nanase and Fox are doing is yeah I I wonder what that, I wonder what that's gonna be like yeah I was because I was really worried that she was nerfed in a really awkward way where they both basically lose intelligence or lose focus whenever they whenever Nanase used that spell. I mean if I'm gonna go off on the baseless fan theorizing, we're gonna guess that it's she kind of just did what came naturally when she was trying to do it, and it wasn't where the new spell is, oh, you need to put more power in to have the separate to have like more processor time. So she just kind of cast what became default and that was without that. So I suspect she'd be able to go back to what it was previously. She'd just need to put active effort in. Hmm, that makes sense. That would also mean that it would take less energy to summon Fox for menial t- for for certain things. Yeah. Just kinda or, or or like just having like adaptability for what Fox is good at, you can min max it. And honestly the potential for min maxing in different builds is just honestly fascinating on its own. It gives Dan and honestly not just Dan, just fanfic writers in general. Just so many more options to play with. Yeah, I wonder. I, I wouldn't great. be surprised if this turns into a fanfiction thing. You know, we don't even read fanfic. Is the thing. It's just we gotta think about that thing because that's such a big concept of the. It's such a big part of the EGS community. I mean, hell, you had a whole episode dedicated to it with Lap, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, especially because you got a lot of fun concepts going on. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. You know how. Dan, I don't, I'm not sure if you're following his Twitter or anything, but he posts a lot about this anime he watched about a character named Maple, who is <laughs> entirely... St- all of her stats are in defense. And you can basically do something similar now with Cheerleader. I just go all in on defense and... Yeah. That's Maple version Cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> there's, just, there's just so many interesting concepts to do with that. And oh. that kind of tweaking experimentation is... Gonna be neat. Yeah, I'm really, I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah. The other stuff that we got going on is well, I or I would be amiss not to mention that we got this minor. I wouldn't call him a villain, just a guy who turns chickens into dinosaurs. Oh yeah, like <laughs> I love it. Petty magic crime is just a category. Like all the like magic crime, quote unquote, we'd seen before has been like you know summoning a dragon to try and kill Elliot or yeah that kind of very large scale stuff you know invading a school that kind of thing so petty magic crime of someone going on a joyride and just turning chickens into dinosaurs like they're that one x-men villain yeah i was speaking exact same thing no i don't want to <laughs> no i don't want to cure cancer i want to turn chicken into dinosaurs <laughs> yeah like it, it, it's it's just kind of 
petty like petty like magic nuisance is is something that's kind of underexplored considering how high stakes i guess EGS kind of tends to play it i mean it's all very personal of course so that all already makes it high stakes yeah and this guy is just, just he's so much fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love the design so good Design is great. The, the 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 cup, so to speak, was a bit less fun, of course. Yeah. But it was. That's uh... honestly, considering the state of policing in the U.S., it's not unsurprising that uh, <laughs> something happened around that time. Considering there's been like what four days in the this entire year that somebody's not been killed by cops. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of rough it's that good. Dan kind of coincidentally got that like right there, and. I find it important that Dan does kind of delve into some of those themes a bit, like, actually, like, talking mm-hmm. about, hey, there's fucked up things going on here. Like, even in, like, uh, I mean, not to labor the point and go back to reflections, um, commenting about how there's an unaccountable secret magic police and how that's kind of screwy if you think about it. Like, mm-hmm. in universes with men in black type organizations, you never really get people organized or, like analyzing the morals of that without being considered the bad guys so it's nice to see that kind of approach actually present you know yeah i really appreciate that um have you been reading wrong answers only uh what uh wrong answers only oh yeah i love that arc i'm i'm still reeling that just that uh is the sky blue comic is just perfect (laughs) is the sky blue Hmm. sometimes sometimes We got more slays of that strip than any other, and it's fantastic. It's got it's, it's just, very good. Yeah, it just it, it just got it's, it's kind of a fun concept in between arcs because if I'm being honest, Parable ran on like very long. Mm, it's true. Also longer than a year. So yeah, like you expect like main story arcs to go on forever. I mean, what Sister Three was going on for like three years, but parable like like any an mp arc that's not even like not even like holy canon I, I, it's i don't know but you yeah, know the canon status is the weird aspect there too yeah i i really enjoyed parable and i think it will be great on rereads but uh it's fun to see dan you know switching around what he's writing about again instead yeah. of reading the exact same story arc for an entire year yeah he's clearly talking about how this is more like a filler if that if you can call it that in terms of NP for between this and something else, but it's fantastic mm. filler, so we can't really mind. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's uh, great characters. It's fun to watch yeah. them uh, struggle with answering questions. Great characters that don't get much time on screen, you know? Yeah, that's that's why I like it so much. <laughs> we don't see Luke or Rhea talking like at all, you know? Yeah, like there's a reason why there was this one question, like just people asking. To know more about Rhea because he knows so little about her, really. Yeah, it's always nice to see him explore like some of the side characters. That yeah, Dan has a lot of characters. <laughs> Dan has a lot of characters, and I'm uh, I'm always glad to see some of the ca- side characters get more attention. Yeah, but let's go into the main subject of the episode. Where were we? <laughs> Just queerness of EGS and how it's kind of developed over the years. Well, there's is, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a very broad topic, but considering how queer the webcomic is, I mean, how many, like, specific identity channels do we have relating to stuff in the uh, server? That's a but, lot. Uh, 
we got. Yeah. Uh, shall I have a quick look on the Discord server? I mean, we've got like main identity fields, and then the two plurality channels, and then the neurodivergent zone, which. Considering the correlations of both of those following, I've got to just lump those under queer. We don't uh, really have a specific gender or sexuality yeah. channel on us. <laughs> I guess it. I guess it's That is identity fields, to be fair. But yeah, that's true. There's a uh, term uh, somebody we're mutuals with on Twitter uh, introduced us to, which is the term neuroqueer, which is the intersection between queer identity and neurodivergence, and that's honestly that honestly like describes EGS to a T. With you know how, frankly, autistic-coded a lot of the characters tend to be. Yeah, that's definitely true. But yeah, the, that, the neurodivergence is, is a different episode. We More just the queerness, which also developed in the same autobiographical way, but, like, the timeline of going from literally just Justin is gay to the entire cast is queer. Yeah. Well, my entire main <laughs> cast is some f- flavor of queer, and with actual diversity to that, is hmm. a fascinating timeline, yeah. Maybe we should start talking about uh, the how the characters were for the very first few arcs, and how yeah. Dan was already trying to really deal with queer teams, with Justin, quickly after that with Nana Say and Ellen, but also with uh, Ted and Elliot through gender. Yeah, and how... Frankly, um, there's often this feel that uh, a lot of queer people go through of, especially transness, is feeling ashamed of that kind of expression and hiding it, and and that overplaying it to have a valve to talk about it is such a common experience in terms of from Dan's perspective, but also just from the people's reading it's perspective. That's true. That it's like, oh, it's this TF webcomic we can read, and it's totally, it's not, it's not, it's definitely not gay or anything. It's just, it's just a webcomic. And then <laughs> five, and then a decade later, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know? Like, it's it's just a very common storyline for characters to just, you know, get gender swapped through one arc. Yeah. I yeah. was just reading Narbonic. It happens in that, too. Yeah. And it's just kind of this thing where playing with those ideas you just kind of got themes that were very that by their very presentation were very attractive to like trans eggs like Mm. in general just yeah i think this is why ellen's introduction is also so smart or so good because it allowed dan to deal with the trans themes without having an explicit transgender character at first yeah because, like, frankly, he didn't know what that was, and well, yeah. and just kind of was kind of playing with themes that clearly were meaningful to him. I mean, the early comic is full of him just, um, ident- like, creating queer identity from first principles. I mean, we were just re- reading a bit of uh, the Grace's Birthday Party, and he basically, like, workboxed asexuality or and the split attraction model ju- <laughs> just from... Yep. Without without the words for it, but just like in terms of oh, Theonolu, I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, yeah. Or, or don't like sex, and it's like oh, they're ace, reflecting it in that way. Or oh, Ellen is okay, finds guys hot, but doesn't want to date them. Oh, split attraction model, like without the terms for it, but it's things that it's just identifying like things that you know are later queer identity stuff, just from first principles. 
it's really impressive how Dan was inventing the the kinds of gender identity and sexuality aspects that we now have names for. Well, not inventing. We're like independently discovering and like yeah, independently with. discovering exactly. And there's one thing I wanted to t- mention that there's a very common thing among queer friend groups where they assemble before like most of the people involved know they're queer. And then slowly mm. everyone hatches and discovers their own specific identity and just slowly just develops over time into a friend group that was made of, that is full of queer people that assembled like, you know, five years before any of them knew. And that thing with the main cast we were just mentioning, that really, that really does reflect that kind of, oh, they all got together and were friends and oh, oh, oh shit, now we're all gay, you know? That's true. This is why a lot of uh, a lot, a lot, uh, webcomics like El Gunishai for Rain, for example, really appeal to queer people because they find themselves in that experience as well. Just th- they relate to that aspect. And I think EGS, especially just because of like how it started as, as the old term went, the most squeaky clean fetish comic on the internet and developed into like such a queer thing. EGS appealed more to eggs than Rain does, because Rain was pretty explicitly trans from the start, right? Yeah, true. We, we, we're we not really the biggest fan of Rain. We don't read many webcomics aside from EGS. Mm. But we're vaguely familiar with Rain just from contact with our fiancé, so... It, it's... I mean, I think other webcomics do it too, though for some reason nothing is coming to mind right now. <laughs> EGS didn't start as explicitly a queer comic. It just kind of developed that kind of identity over time. Main, just from, honestly, Dan projecting on his own characters. Like, I mean, Ted being gender fluid from, like, First Principles. And, yeah, there's there's so much. In, in, there's so much to unpack <laughs> with just how everything went. And, of course, Elliot's whole gender deal. Which, um, b- before we get into that, I guess we should talk about... Uh, how did you think Justin was represented in the very start? Justin Just definitely... token gay character. Justin definitely was very tokeny at first. I can't identify a specific point when he stopped being that, but he definitely did feel a little bit tokenized at first, but kind of developed into his own character with, honestly, his wonderful troll kind of vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love... He- I love Justin's uh, the way he the specific way he nerds out and the specific way he uh, yeah trolls. I think that's the best words. And I do find it interesting, like you know, having like even before it was a queer web comic, like having like all that queer representation, like you know, two thousand two, two thousand three, like of <laughs> Nase being a lesbian and uh, Justin being gay. Like I gotta presume that was not that common, even in like web comic media. That was, like, you know, 2002. Elgin was one of the first. I mean, yeah. it existed alongside Kyle's Breakfast Club or something. I think Venus Envy was also coming out around this time. So it was not like gender stuff wasn't unknown at that point uh, yeah. on the web. I mean, there were yeah. quite a few early trans web comics. Yeah, of course. But, like, there's a difference between just, like, an actually queer comic like targeted at queer people and what EGS started out as, which EGS didn't really start as a specifically queer comic, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a big difference indeed. And having so much representation in a comic that, you know, isn't explicitly queer is interesting. 
really was one of the first that went that way. Like right now, we get also web comics like Dan and Map and questionable content, which we featured on the show before. They end up having some uh, LGBT teams, but it takes them over a decade to really get there. And Elke de Schijf was just two years in. Yeah, we got an ace character and multiple gay characters and yeah. the, the, uh, trans characters, kind of. Yeah, and just kind of slowly like getting into that over time. And yeah, mm. it really works, Like again, like that kind of assembling just... Oh hey, this person's gay. This person, this person's gender fluid. This this mm. person's bi, but also had a romantic, but also homo romantic. You know that that kind of thing. It just kind of slowly just ballooned into more and more queerness until it qu- hit a critical density. And Dan used the term gender fluid on panel. Yep. And uh, this is the moment where I'm gonna quote at least one viewer who sent some in. Uh, Theatrix, who also did our great opening today. <laughs> I love that opening. It's so dumb. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, Theatrix says, there's a name for it, the, the the page we are all very familiar with. It is a very resonant page for me and probably other queer people as well. I think that page is what finally got me out of the metaphorical closet after constructing a metaphorical closet 10 years prior to reading it. I feel like a lot of people related to that. And, oh. uh it it cut me out of the closet as well, kinda. Or hatched my egg. Yeah, like, a hundred percent. Like, that kind of just flat-out, like, there's a name for it is so resonant. Like, we could probably just dig into the themes and how much that's intersected with the fan base just universally. Just that sing, just those, like, two panels... Like, a, there's a name for it. There is, and there's nothing wrong with it. Just that is just so flipping resonant in terms of just everyone talking about, like, so many people's experiences relating to that. Like, we were talking to one of our friends about getting into the podcast and wanting to look up that that comic, and she's like, oh, I have a screenshot right here, and just pulled it out because she just saved it on her hard drive because it's so resonant. Yeah. A lot of people have that link on hands. Like, yeah. uh, a lot of people, you know, realize that they were not alone and their experience, like, other people have had the same kinds of experiences based just on this page. Yeah, and, like, again, our experiences are a bit different here because we got into the comic, like, after we had already hatched, but that page is just good. <laughs> I mean, that page... Uh, that page made me realize I was non-binary as well. So, yeah. and there's like so, nope. there's like so many nuances there, and you know, actually throwing out the term gender fluid is like, yeah, it it was a game changer. When this page came out, I was actually kind of disappointed because I had heard of the word gender fluid before, but I did not identify with it. That I still don't really, I guess, because uh, well, I'm NB, but it's complicated. But uh, after discussing this page on the forum and hearing people talk about how the experiences that I have also fall under the non-binary umbrella and really starting that discussion, uh, that's what eventually got, made me realize uh, what my situation was. Honestly, EGS functions as the perfect egg cracker because it lures you in with what seems like just, especially for people who got into it a lot earlier, 
it lures you in with what seems like just harmless gender TF nonsense, which you totally like for entirely normal reasons that aren't to- that aren't you being <laughs> trans at all. And then it just comes and shatters it with, oh yeah, by the way, trans stuff exists, and just boom, egg shattered. Yep. And just that's that single page has done so much in terms of egg bait followed by just an egg, just a cannon to shatter all the eggs. Is just yeah. I think this is the right moment to mention that we do have a lot of queer people in our community, but we do are also very um, biased because the Discord server is so... It, it, because Discord seems to be a particularly queer environment. I mean, there's that old joke, um, a group of trans women is called a Discord, and... Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the plural noun or whatever. I mean, for fuck's sake, like, I, think, I don't think anybody on the mod team is cishet. <laughs> Yeah, our uh, our channel is particularly designed for it. I feel like while the Facebook and Reddit communities are a lot more uh, straight laced. Is that the right words? <laughs> <laughs> straight. <laughs> no, that's no, just the word for uh, people doing bondage. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, there's still a bias there. But like the queerness that is in the comic that only has intensified, you know, since 2014 when Squirrel Prophet was, is mm. just, it's a hell of a thing just to put that out there and be like, oh yeah, this is valid, and talk about, you know, oh, trans, like, experiences from father being kind of transphobic, and just going into depth on, like, the nuance of the different, like, trauma and stuff. And that's really where Reflections comes in. The relation to traumas. Yeah, I was reading your links, and I did notice that the word trauma was in there like a dozen times. And so, uh, this is gonna get fun. <laughs> I mean, we're, we can keep it somewhat lighthearted, but the fact is that oftentimes, like, queer people do end up being traumatized, like, more than the general population, like, for a lot of reasons, often, like, Abuse comes our way from acting non-normative, even though we don't know why that non-normativity is, is yet. It's usually because, you know, it ends up being queer. Mm. So there's a lot of people who have trauma relating to various things, whether it be parental stuff or, like, school bullying or a whole host of things. And so queer spaces often end up being very trauma-heavy zones and, like places where that gets processed and that kind of supportive queer friend group all going around in a circle talking about each other's traumas reminded us so damn hard of like our own friend groups that like that dynamic is so fucking realistic even without um that that dynamic is realistic even with you know all the magic present and how so much of the magic is related to killing vampires or whatever it's like Queer people talking about their trauma and processing it with others is just incredibly real. I think it's um, very core to the kinds of queer communities we have, yeah. Yeah, and explicitly, like, the one line that really made us think of this is there's one point where Ted just kind of literally says the line, um, we can go back to my trauma if you like, and I swear to multiple gods that... We have heard that exact phrasing in co- conversations we've been in in our friend groups. In order to deal with the trauma of one person, we're going to switch to talking about the trauma of another person, which, yeah, that's... Uh... 
especially that neurodiverse way of processing trauma, which often is to, like, share a similar experience, which, given the way queer people get treated, there are very often similar experiences. <laughs> but, yeah, that kind of integrates with that queer, like, that queer friend group that assembled early vibe, because how much we've talked with trauma with, you know, the people that we knew from, like, middle school age who ended up realize who we ended up realizing we were trans together with, those residences hit hard for how those friend groups kind of talk with each other. And it presents itself in a very real way and kind of is a credit to Dan's writing that he nails that dynamic of trauma processing that comes with a friend group full of what, two people who have guilt over killing, a bunch of parental trauma, homophobia, like, a whole laundry list of things that are incredibly raw even w and incredibly real, even with, you know, the framing of it's all being brought up by a bunch of TF magic. <laughs> you know? I know. I think this is why Reflections, or a title pending, as it's currently still listed, I think this is why it's going to hold up very well as well, because somehow Dan just managed to nail that kind of dynamic. Honestly, like, we end up calling it Party 2 a lot, because it's basically just Grace's birthday party, but different, you know? It's... Like, it's similar, like, revelations about self-identity self and similar, you know, TF themes in the party... And it is one of those arcs where Dan puts literally all the main characters yeah. in one room and let them deal with their trouble together. Where there's not really been one of those, where they're all in one room, like, since then. Yeah, because after the greatest birthday party, Dan was like, never again. And then he did it again. <laughs> it does have a very different feel from Greatest Birthday Party, because these characters now actually face their traumas head-on while that was actually something that they weren't really able to do much in the original Grace birthday party. Like, the main place that happens was with Susan, I feel like. Yeah. It's a hell of a thing to just have that place open up and, yeah. It's just good. Honestly, like, going on an EGS podcast to talk about why EGS is good is, you know, a <laughs> bit much, but it, it's just good. The reason we love this this thing, it's uh, I did a podcast on it for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just throw in another uh, quote here. This one is by Trekkie One Hundred and Forty. While I very much identify with Ted's experience of learning there's a word for how they feel, I also had day long euphoria when I figured out I was gender fluid. Trekkie One Hundred and Forty says. And also with Ted's anxiety about how magic changing might force them to make uncomfortable decisions about their life. Uh, <laughs> this is a long sentence, so it's a bit hard to quote, but I want to mention myself that uh, I really relate to that as well. That moment when Ted was just trying to decide what kind of body to take on in case magic disappears. Uh, but I'll, I'll go on with the quote, I'm sorry. Uh, but the scene that actually helped my self-discovery most was Elliot coming out. I don't know if you have this link before you. This was from 2017. Oh yeah, where he like, talks about talks to uh, Ellen about being kind of gender casual. And also, you know, yeah. admits some male attraction to like Noah. Yeah, that's also a great page. I really love Elliot's uh, identity. The implication that they played shirts for skins just for shits and giggles is just... 
you know? The Trekkie goes on to say, Elliot's experience of realizing he had gender euphoria, but not dysphoria, is my experience, and the way his relationship with transformation changed over time mirrors the way my feelings changed. When I first read that scene, I had trouble understanding it. Then I couldn't stop thinking about it. Then I realized that I also wanted to change and that was a valid thing to feel even if I just changed my mind about my identity. Whew, that was a mouthful, but I really like this quote because it. Uh, I feel the same way. I also don't really have much dysphoria, but do feel euphoria. And Elliot's whole gender identity is... It's it's very relatable to me. Yeah, it's it's that it's that it's that thing that Dan does where he kind of like creates different identities from first principles and like how, mm. for example, in Reflections he has Susan bring up like that that kind of relates to the term agender, mm. and how he like prefers the term itself. Um, there's a saying that goes around in queer communities. Um. As cats will tell you, a box you put yourself in is much is much better than one that someone else tries to put force you in. And that I, kind of that's a that's a good quote. I also always feel that it's fine when trans people or queer people define the terms to define themselves, like they make up their own terminology to describe like, their own experiences. In a broad terms, like also just like xenogenders in general, like we know someone whose gender is just bug and. Uh, these incredibly valid, and that's like, I frankly we don't entirely get that. Though it might partially be our entomophobia mixing in with that, <laughs> but these really fucking cool. So the, the, just because we don't like entirely get it doesn't mean we can't respect them. That's kind of the whole thing with this queerness that each just kind of nails. I dig it. Especially with Ashley's, like, I don't I don't entirely like label speech. Like, playing with oh, that yeah. concept from the queer perspective is important because there's two versions of that. Like, there's the, you know, oh, I don't like labels for myself perspective. And there's the, oh, you shouldn't use labels. You're all just people to me. Which, flattening <laughs> things out, is just something that cis people will try to do and it's awful. It's, yeah, that's really bad. Whereas Ashley, of course... Yeah, Ashley isn't like that, as you mentioned. Because back to that cat analogy, she doesn't she doesn't choose to put herself in that box. It's just, and that's her choice. But she's not just saying, "No, you're not allowed a box because I say so." Okay, you know. She's frustrated by pretty much every box she's being forced into because it doesn't feel like her own decision. Yeah, which is very valid and very fair. Hundred percent, and that's honestly an experience we hear a lot. Like. There's a reason a lot of people identify with the label queer, because that's just a broad term that you don't need to go into specifics on, it's just, we're queer, and that, that kind of works as a label for, like, mm. the broadness and inclusivity, like, you can't have a TERF trying to say, to, like, remove a letter to say, like, LGB with okay. queer, like, it's just queer is inclusive by its very nature, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I've run into issues with that where people... Because queer has, of course, been used as a slur in the past, and that's awful. And I do feel the need to reclaim it, because it's such a useful, valuable word. Yeah, it's an incredibly useful word that we've just grown like more and more comfortable with as we've grown up from a baby queer to now, you know? <laughs> I mean, I had the experience as uh, a kid in school, in Dutch school, so we didn't speak English, of course. 
Um, but the word gay came up quite a lot, as and it just felt like a slur to me. Yeah. Like, just the word gay. Because yeah. when something is gay, it just means it's bad, which is, of course, the opposite meaning it has these days. Yeah, in terms <laughs> of our bullying in school, like, we never got, like, called, like, queer, but we were very much called gay and the various slurs that start with F mm. by boys in school. But we were never called queer, so we don't have that derogatory relationship to it. We just more have that positive, inclusive vibe of it being the queer community and that kind of being opposed to what is honestly the rather corporatized LGBT. And, you know? I, uh... I have come. I, I, it's hard. It's very complicated. All of yeah. these terms are so weighty. They all have so much weight to it. So much histor- yeah. history to them. Uh, so many different people all over the world have different experiences with all of these words. And I'm glad that a webcomic like Elgun and Shive manages to connect all of these people as well. Yeah, it's just a yeah. It's it's fantastic that you get into that kind of thing and you're like you know explicitly bringing up the not everyone is comfortable for x word to describe them and that's okay because labels aren't necessarily defined by their literal meaning they're defined by somebody identifying with them you can't really be prescriptive with identity labels and egs knows how to do that with like oh you might be agender but i don't like that word so i don't use it like that kind of thing you know yeah i I really appreciate how (laughs) to go back to elliot i really appreciate how he really carved out his own identity and, that's, and now he's still carving out his own identity. And that's a thing that just we see people do all the time. Like, not not even just xenogenders, just figure out different, like, more specific labels for selfhood. Or, like, more complicated things that to a cis person would sound contradictory, like bi-lesbian. Or that, that kind of thing gets into nuanced identity and the complexity thereof. And EGS is good at playing with that as well. Yeah. A lot of people figure out their own uh, their own identity in isolation, and a lot of people figure out their own identity through contact with very specific communities. And like, it's really cool to see Elkun and Shaif really go deep on that. Yeah. While other other media slash art, usually it's just like a character says, "Oh, I'm gay," or well, if they say that at all, I suppose. Yeah, and that's the end. That's the beginning and the end. But that really isn't the beginning and the end because, like as we see in a lot of in a few web comics, like people often aren't just gay. They have like very different experiences from each other. Yeah, and like I mean, it kind of was the beginning, and that's the thing. You know, we, like we were talking about like earlier in the podcast, Justin kind of pre- was presented very tokeny at first, but slowly developed and refined over the years into, like, much less of that. And that kind of concept of it just being a part of them, not just, oh, they're the gay character, is how it kind of became that queer comic over time. And even with Justin, we also explored what the identity of being gay actually means to him. Yeah. And he's a lot more representative of, like, the the classic, the, the classic gay man community. Yeah. But still, he like his thoughts on being a woman just in order to be able to get the attention of men is... <laughs> I, I think it's very interesting and very valuable to think about. 
Incredibly so, mainly because Dan mixes, like, realistic gender presentation-like stuff, and, like, the complexities that are, like, the real complexities of what happens with, like, real limitations, mixes that with, like, a world where there's regular transformation magic and you can just swap if you please, in a way that kind of just plays with the bounds of those identity, like, oh, Justin could be a girl occasionally if it wasn't, you know, such a process to become that just to do that and that being fine is an interesting thing to play with when you're actually exploring it from a queer lens and not just uh oh this is a thing it's cool lens you know i know yeah of course you do <laughs> yeah um the, and that kind of playing with it is fascinating ah there's one there's one comment ted makes about my my ideal world would be one where two frat boys could change into a girl change into girls for a weekend and just that'd be fine, and that's a good thing. That's a good concept. I want to live in that world too. Yeah, please. God, gods, we hope we get to transhumanist future. Even beyond that, just for like just for like different like non-human bodies and like in other kin sense, like letting people explore like, oh, you want to be a cat? Sure, have a cat wrestle. Just boom. <laughs> But definitely, like um, I'm a, I'm very fairly transhumanist as well in that sense. I yeah. really want the the kinds of body mods that Cyberpunk 2077 would be afraid of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, corporate Cyberpunk is such a flattening of the genre, but that is so tangential to this episode. I know, but I it came to mind. Yeah, and just playing with those concepts in that kind of way. Or hell, even with, like, plural systems, if we're going with, like, a full, like, what-could-be-possible lens, trying to create different vessels that, like, have a vague, like, soft hive mind link, but are still, like, separate bodies, so you can still have, or or not, just being able to see if you can, like, separate consciousness out like that to have multiple things would be an interesting thing to experiment with in that kind of cyberpunk setting, and you never really see that because the cyberpunk that gets published nowadays is so watered down and white that it just yeah it's true this is why i like webcomics so much because yeah. it's not corporate it's kind of that's... It, the freedom of the webcomic medium yeah organized really can explore these subjects to their fullest extent and have like the presence of wardrobe and malfunctions and the complexity of like the nuance of sexuality and just grace as a character without like getting canceled off the network for being like too to like divisive, you know? I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the thing I say. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, but I yeah. need to stop saying saying it's true at yeah a lot because that's what I do on a podcast episode. <laughs> and now well, I've pointed it out; everyone will notice it. I mean, that's the whole point of having someone on. Like, it's not necessarily someone who's going to have that different thoughts from you, but it's just someone to, like, to bounce ideas back and forth so you can just have something entertaining to listen to, like, just a conversation for someone who's, like, I don't know, driving with us on. Speaking of, hi, pay attention to the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this um, episode would be most interesting to people who aren't queer at all to yeah. get a view into the into what kinds of subjects uh, Elku de Shive uh, goes into and how we experience it. Yeah, and it's very much, like, that kind of very queer perspective that you don't usually see when you're just looking at it from a cishet lens because it's not something you're primed to see, and it's just 
there's a very different kind of lens you get on identity as a whole when you're experiencing it from a queer place. People were reading Ted as non-binary for years before he came out, or before he hatched. Yeah. Like, like people kind of knew. Like, it was complicated because non-binary characters weren't that big yet in before 2013 or so. Yeah. I feel it, like Ted... Well, Ted definitely wasn't the first in even web, in webcomics or anything, but... I mean, EGS is especially that kind of thing where people just talk to Dan about, oh, your character seems like this, and it's like, oh, that's autobiographical, but, um... And just, like, with identity, I mean, he had it with, like, autistic traits and ADHD traits and... Yeah. What, what's the term? Autocore sexual, I believe? Uh... And, I think so, but yeah, the HD, ADHD stuff, and when he was thinking about uh, what this might mean for him if he could use medis- uh, medication for that or something like that. Yeah. Or specific uh, behaviors that would help him through the day. Yeah, and that's a hell of a thing, that UGS kind of just stumbles into those things because a lot of it is Dan writing about his own experiences and then being told, oh, hey, this experience is sort of related to X, Y, and Z, and it's like... Oh. It uh, it helps that Dan is so queer himself. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have that kind of thing. And, like, it's very visible in, frankly, Elliot being vaguely his self-insert character. Like, not in the negative connotation that term usually has, but it's very clear oh, that I, that's... Um, I have no negative connotations on self-inserts. I love them more I, than any other character. <laughs> self-insert tension has those connotations with what people would generally consider like the quote-unquote cringy fanfiction where people are like a 13-year-old is writing something with an over overpowered character, and that's fine. Like, like a self-insertion has the worst reputation when it comes to power fantasies, but I think self-insertion works incredibly well when it comes to wish fulfillment. Though, I, I, there's nothing wrong with, like, power fantasy stuff either. Like, if that floats your boat, that's fine. It's just, it doesn't float everyone's boat. And treating, like, that kind of more youthful or often more neurodivergent style of writing as wrong because it's so different, because it's, like, so different doesn't fit into, like, the norms is kind of silly. But yeah, basically, so- self-insertion <laughs> good. A self-insertion character is the easiest way to create a character that people might relate to because, you know... You're writing a human being. You might be writing yourself, but you are a human being. So write what you know, right? Write your own struggles and challenges. The thing is with EGS, like, it's not even just one self-insert character because Dan does that. They're all self-inserts. Like, Dan does that thing where he puts, like, a couple of his own character traits on each person. And it's like... Hmm. and And it's a good way to write because you get into that humanization of like oh i can write about this because it's literally what i experience and like play with those identity stuff and that works really well for queerness yeah and i think that's a wrap yeah i I, yeah that's probably a good wrapping up point well then uh i will ask you the question where can people find you on the internet well, we're mainly present on, you know, the EGS Discord under Oramgold and, like, Fractal on the sidebar. There's also our Twitter, which is, um, at EVOramgold. It's, uh, 18 plus only. And similarly, our website, um, oramgold.com, has uh, a few, like, 18 plus stories. So, mainly if you're, like, below that and want to get into contact with us, probably on the Discord. But, yeah. Where can people find you, Maple? 
I think I have a link to your website on my website, so if you go to maplestrip.space you should be able to find it as well. But also you can find me on my Twitter account, at maplestrip, and of course on the Discord server where um, most of my guests seems to come from, so... <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast you can find on pretty much all the all of the podcasting apps. Yep. So uh, in case you don't know how you managed to find this thing, you probably found them on one of those apps. The music you're listening to right now is Our Heroes by Sister Parish. And as I mentioned, we don't know what the next episode will be. Or when the next episode will be. It's all a big question mark. So presumably if you want to host or say something or do something at all with this, like please get into contact with Mabel. She'll probably be able to organize things if you want. Yeah, yeah it's true. Like, uh, I would always... I think we have like a few people who are interested in hosting it instead of me. But if you're interested in being on the podcast, this might be the best time. Like, double your chances. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all very much for listening. I had a blast. Did you also have a blast, Frestel? Frectal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did too. It's been a nice experience to actually talk with you about things. Nice to be on a podcast with you, for change. Well, I should at least be on voice chats more because I enjoy this. Yeah, this is nice. You're a nice person to talk to. <laughs>